the reason why I started speaking is because I want to grow my business. And I did all the cold emailing, I did all the DMing, didn't work. And the Brooklyn Chamber of Commerce does free events all the time for entrepreneurs here in Brooklyn. So I reached out to them and said, hey, can I do some free talk, uh, like three ways to scale your business uh, if you're a founder? They said, yes, I showed up. And they had like 60 people in the room waiting to hear me speak. I was like, holy cow, this is so much easier than DMing someone and praying they'll respond. By the end of that talk, I got two clients. So that's when I realized the best way to grow as an entrepreneur, as a leader, is to speak as many times as possible. And I would do this for free at WeWorks, at Chambers of Commerce, at Libraries XYZ. That's how I built my, if you want to call it expertise, or at least reps in as a speaker, was doing all these low stakes free events to the point where, yes, now I can go speak on stages and South by Southwest and all this other cool stuff. So just so everyone realizes that's the power of speaking. That's how I built my career, literally and do all my my lead gen. Welcome to the Speak as a Leader podcast, where you learn how to speak fearlessly on stage, on camera, and in person. I'm Nasheen, a leadership communications coach from the Fortune 500 world. And on Speak as a Leader, I talk to leaders from corporate giants like Amazon and Google to startup founders, visionaries, TEDx speakers, and even leaders who have worked at the Pentagon. You will get to know how these leaders learned the art and science of speaking fearlessly on any stage. Let's get started. Terry Rice is a multi-talented power brand. That is the best way I can think of to describe him. He's Entrepreneur Magazine's expert in residence. He's a keynote speaker and a podcast host. He teaches entrepreneurship at NYU. And he runs a coaching and consulting business where he helps entrepreneurs increase their revenue, save time, and avoid burnout. But these words don't really do justice to Terry. He's an extremely down-to-earth and humble but very, very insightful expert who has built his career on speaking well. And that is why I am beyond excited to share our conversation with you on what it's like for Terry to speak as a leader. Hi, Terry. Welcome to the Speak as a Leader podcast. I am so excited to be talking to you. This was a conversation I was really looking forward to. So thank you so much for taking the time. And I just, I am so excited. Yeah, glad to be here. Glad we, we finally found a time that works. So you're a man of many, many talents. You are a writer, you are an entrepreneur, you're a teacher, and you're a creator on LinkedIn. So I would love for you to tell us a little bit about your journey so far. Yeah, there's a lot. And um, I'll tell you how it ends. It ends with me having four kids. You'll probably, you might hear some of them in the background. <laughs> but um. Out of, uh, we'll say out of college, I, I worked in corporate. I worked at uh, Facebook and I worked at Adobe, uh, largely in digital marketing roles. So that was um, my my previous experience. But then in 2015, I, uh, I went independent as a consultant, primarily a digital marketing consultant. And I quickly found that there's a big difference between being good at your job, which is digital marketing, and being good at building a business, right? So even though I went to business school, I had no clue what I was doing and I struggled a lot for the first 18 months. And at the same time, I had a newborn daughter. So I was just stressed all the time because I felt like her future was tied to the success of my business and I had no clue what I was doing. So 
when I look back at those times, I don't remember a lot of experiences with her because I was just so distracted. And what I do now is I help other people make money, save time and avoid burnout so they can be more present as they're building their business and just reduce all that confusion that I experience as well. Awesome. Thank you. It's very, very coherent. And that is something that I feel very often about the Terry Rice brand. So I'll, you know, I'll give you a very short summary of, of how I came to know you. And it's really interesting because today is the first time that I'm actually talking to you live, but I feel like I know you. I feel like I know your story because I do in parts. So I first got to know about you through Jason Pfeiffer um, at Entrepreneur Magazine. And I think maybe he mentioned you in a post or, or something. And this was maybe like six months ago. And something about your content, the way that you were portraying this very confident voice just drew me in. And I subscribed to your newsletter. I added you on LinkedIn. I think I first followed you. Then I added you. You were kind enough to accept my friend request. And then we ended up collaborating for a LinkedIn post. And since then, everything that I've seen from you, everything that you've put out into the world as Terry Rice has been incredibly coherent. Like I said, you, you present a very specific and consistent voice online through your digital presence and through your speaking. So I'm really interested in knowing, did you build the, the Terry Rice brand in a deliberate way? Um, so first, I'm interested in knowing that. And then if so, how, how did you build it? And if not, did it just come together organically? It's funny whenever I hear people say that, oh, your content is so good or clear or, you know, whatever it is, like it seems well thought out because, again, I have four kids and they're all under seven years old. So often when I'm writing content, I say it's under duress because there's kids yelling in the background or I know they're about to wake up. So it's good to hear that feedback because I always feel like, gosh, I could be doing so much better if I could just sit down and create content and not have to stop for one thing or another. But I also feel that constraints give you clarity. So when you have time constraints in this place, you think, okay, what's the most you know impactful thing I can do? You get clarity, you're saying, okay, great, create great content that attracts people to me. And that way I don't have to try so hard to sell my services. So that's where it comes from. But it, uh, it, I would say it came from me just getting feedback from people and after speaking in public. So I started off teaching uh, the same time I started my business in 2015. And I would give workshops sometimes three times a week with maybe 30 people in attendance, sometimes more, but I would get the feedback from people, people saying, oh, you're very practical. It was so easy to follow along. You're good at explaining things in like a no fluff manner, so on and so forth. And that just reinforced a lot of the way I feel internally because some speakers, they're amazing, right? They have all this energy and they're bouncing off the walls and everything, and that's never gonna be me. Uh, in fact, I was speaking in Chicago recently and when they were doing my mic, like, what kind of speaker are you? Are you kind of like an Obama, like, you know, reserved, but just very powerful? Or, you know, like a, like a, like a fire breathing preacher where you're jumping around and getting in the crowd. I'm like, nope, the first, that's me. But I think what, what helps is I don't try to be something I'm not. I actually, I just own it. And I say, here's who I am. Here's how I present myself. And if you want to listen, you're going to learn a lot. If you don't, hey, I hear you, but I'm still here and I'm going to enjoy myself. I really love the part that you mentioned about being yourself under duress. And I think that that really works because when you have 
only five minutes to push out a post or when you know that you're going to have a speaking engagement, but you can realistically only take out X amount of time to prepare. I really feel like your true personality can shine through despite what you think. I mean, that's that's pretty much the concept behind like the hot ones, right? Like that YouTube show where they like torture celebrities and famous people by, you know, having them like eat all this, all these chili wings. And then they answer. And at some point they're just answering under duress and the truth comes out. So you're you're speaking the truth when you are putting all these restrictions on yourself counterintuitively. I think almost. Yeah, and it's, it's interesting because if I had more time to even train myself to be a speaker, I don't know if I'd be as effective because often people, it's almost like when you're playing a video game when you're younger, like there's all these special moves you can do. You hit up, down, left, right, all this extra stuff. But then the people who are doing that, they're not, they don't have the fundamentals down. So they're getting their ass kicked the whole time because they don't know the fundamentals of how to play the game. They're too busy doing the extra stuff. So for me, I just master the fundamentals, which is delivering value in exchange for my audience's attention. But it's funny, I was speaking at Amazon uh, recently and afterwards, everyone wants to talk to you and say, hey, thanks, ask you some questions. This guy came up to me and said, that was amazing. I could tell you're not a trained speaker, but that was amazing. And I'm like, damn, dude, you could have left that part out. Like, you know, you could have said it was amazing. <laughs> but again, like, I don't do all the pomp and circumstance. I'm like, let me just sit here, deliver value, and that's it. So I think that's what people feel too. It's the authenticity. Because you've seen this happen before, probably, where someone is so scripted, right? They can't, they can't divert from the script and they'll tell a joke. And then no one laughs and they're just looking down at their card and says, pause for laughter. And they're like, oh crap, <laughs> like that, that didn't happen, right? So that's why I think the best speakers know how to improv as well, because they're not so confined by what they think is a good speech or whatever. They're just like, hey, I'm, I'm having a connection because that is the point of communication is to make connections, right? But if you're just talking and not connecting, you can't improv because you're not in the moment. You're just going through your notes and saying them out loud. It's a fine line. It's a tricky one to walk through because you want to be perfect on that stage. But the moment you are perfect, people don't like you anymore. People say you're too perfect. You're too rehearsed. Everything just flows too smoothly. This this person is like, yeah, like you said, done this whole like rehearsed pomp and show kind of thing. And this is not something I'm going to buy because they're, they, they must be hiding something. They're so over rehearsed. So yeah, it's it's very strange. It's definitely this balance that you have to find between being scripted and improvising. And so much of that comes through time, comes through getting your reps in so that by the time you get on, you know, the stage at your 15th or 150th event, you're way more relaxed and way more chill. And that's that's the vibe I get from you, like you said. If you were to put on this persona, this larger than life Terry, who's just like, let's go, let's go. Are you with me? I can't see you doing that. That would just so not be you. And the moment that people actually see you off that stage, they would understand that that was not your real personality. And that would not add to your credibility at all, right? Like the opposite. So the fact that you can be a similar person on stage and off stage really builds your credibility and trust with that audience. Yeah, I'd agree. And one thing I would also say is I don't strive for perfection. I strive for connection with the audience, right? So there's two different things, right? Yeah, I can mess up. But even those in those moments, you see my humanity and how I respond to it. Because like, if you're just perfect, 
they don't know how you respond under pressure. But I was speaking recently, there was a problem with the AV system. Okay, what can I do? My script's not there. I just started talking about my day, right? And just sharing, you know, what I learned just from the experience of being at the conference, right? So again, if you can just not seek perfection, which is never gonna happen and seek connection instead, you'll do well. But going back to being yourself, I am at a different event. And the person before me was amazing. She could have been like a stand-up comedian. She was hilarious, bounced off the walls, like the crowd's rolling you know, out of the seats. And I got to go on next. I'm like, crap, this is not going to be a good transition. So what I did is I just connected with the audience. I said, hey, have you ever you know, been in an event and there's some amazing speakers and you're thinking to yourself, wow, I would not want to go next. Like, that's how I feel right now. And they just started laughing. And I said, look, I need you all to lower your expectations a little bit, maybe 30 to 40% and we'll get through this. So just me saying that, it just showed like my dry humor, you know, the, the wit or whatever. But just telling them, look, I ain't gonna be, I'm not gonna be bouncing around the stage. Like that's not my zone. And the feedback was incredible. And a lot of people talking to me afterwards, but you have to own it, right? Because if you're too busy trying to be someone else, then you can't provide value because you have a finite, finite amount of energy at any given moment, right? And if half your energy is spent trying to sound like Gary Vee and the other half is trying to like deliver your content, you're going to fail on both attempts, right? So just figure out what kind of speaker you are based on the feedback you're getting and what sounds right. And then what I would also say is this, I mean, on my end, I'm, I'm an introvert. So I always hide before I go on stage. I don't go in the green room or the press room or the VIP lounge, I'm out. And then when I get on stage, I've saved up my energy and I can deliver. But then even afterwards, once I get off stage, I might hide a little bit. Like I'll try to get out as soon as I can and then come back or whatever. But just, just realize like you have to stay in control of your energy. Otherwise you'll underperform either on the stage or the after experience when people want to talk to you. There are so many gems in what you just said and so much of what I talk about every single day that parts of my brain were just on happy fires during that time. You talked about something that I call pre-gaming um, and a lot of a lot of people that I teach and I coach, I explain to them that you need to find your own way of being in the zone before an important presentation, before an important event. You have to understand how you can kind of reach in so that you can present that energy. You can really take your personality out and express it in the best way, in the most energetic way, most animated way on that stage when you need to be performing. And a lot of people really confuse this, this concept of performing on stage with theater or with putting on a show when it's really just about finding your authentic energy and then making an effort to transmit that to the audience, not just waiting for them to come to you, but going to them, metaphorically speaking. So it, that's super important. And you can really riff with the audience. You can really improvise if you're a hundred or like I like saying a thousand percent present in the moment. And I love the example that you gave of, you know, the AV is not working, which is what happens, I don't know, like 89% of the time. Yeah. And a lot of people just stand there looking awkward because they don't know what to say unless they have that first PowerPoint slide behind them. And you just think to yourself, you're not there to present the PowerPoint. You're there to talk about what you want to talk about. And the PowerPoint slides are just a tool. 
And if one tool doesn't work, you just take out another one because that's what you should have. You should have a, you know, a, a tool belt of different kinds of tools if you are a skilled speaker. So just standing there awkwardly just doesn't serve anyone. And, and improvising in that moment just really, really warms up the crowd, gets them going and gets them to really get impressed by you. you know, they, they understand that you're not dependent on tech that doesn't work. Yeah, and that's the thing. Even with my, whenever I start a presentation, I don't start with whatever's in the deck. I start with something relevant about the venue, about the day, whatever it is. And it's funny, that came in handy. I was at another uh, event and I was late. I was like 15 minutes late. Like they were waiting for me to go on stage. I'm like, this sucks. So as soon as I get on stage, I'm like, did anyone else take the four or five train here? <laughs> because it was late. <laughs> and then a few other people raised their hand and they're like, oh my God, they're all like griping about how bad it was. So that got everyone else complaining about the subway system. I'm like, yeah, gosh, you know, what's up with this? And then I started talking. So the more you can just, again, be present and not read off a screen, the better. But you, you somewhat alluded to like being in the zone too, you know, getting in the zone before you talk. One reason why I don't get nervous is because I actually forget to get nervous. I just don't even think about it that much. And I don't care if there's three or 500 people, that doesn't matter because you can only see the front row really anyways. And what I'll do is, you know, I'll, I'll make eye contact, but I'm actually looking at your eyebrows. I'm not looking at your eyes. That way it doesn't throw me off. So there's all these little tricks you can do. But one thing that I, that I do if I am feeling a little bit, okay, I need to get pumped up is, what I'll do is I'll practice what are called epic thoughts. And that's reminding you of 10 difficult things you've done in the past, right? So maybe it's like me getting a job at Facebook, making a varsity football team, whatever it is. I think you hear my daughter in the background having kids, you know, so on and so forth. <laughs> and you realize that confidence comes from past experiences, not pep talks or motivational posters. So in those moments, when you feel a little nervous to go on stage, just think about all the other difficult things you've done in the past. And as you start getting feedback as a speaker, think about all the positive feedback you've gotten. Even if you have to screenshot it and save it on your phone so you can just look down on it before you get on stage, that's how you can just front load yourself for success by going through these, these practices. And that's an awesome strategy because you're totally right. Confidence is not something that you should have before you go on stage. It's something that you get after having done really difficult things that you can then add to that self-talk that you have in your head, really telling yourself that, yeah, I did that and I did that and I'm really cool. Like I am much better than I give myself credit for. And once you can get that positive self-talk going, then you can really be unstoppable. So it's it's a great strategy. I love the idea of, you know, even if it's like a screenshot on your phone. And I started doing this, you know, I when I started my LinkedIn journey, I started taking screenshots of just memorable moments. The, the first time that someone tagged me in another post saying like, Nasheen, she's your go-to person for public speaking. And I was like, wow, this is someone who's never met me. They don't know me just because they've read my content. They're now recommending me to someone else. Those are the moments that you really sit back and you realize, wow, this is incredible. This is not something I could have dreamt of happening a year ago. So one of the reasons that I was super excited to talk to you was because you really embody the essence of the Speak as a Leader podcast. Because when I envisioned the Speak as a Leader podcast, it was really about not a person speaking in a leadership position necessarily, 
but someone speaking as a leader in their industry. Someone who has expertise and a lot of knowledge, who has now used public speaking or speaking on camera or speaking in general to their audience to position themselves as a leader in the industry. And I feel like that's exactly what you did. You know, you you gathered your knowledge, your experiences, and now you tell stories about it. Now you integrate it into the things that you teach other people. So I'm really interested in knowing, you know, peeling back the curtain a little bit and knowing your process. Is there a specific process that you use to really speak as and to position yourself as a leader in the industry? Let's take a step back first. I want to tell you why I started speaking, first of all, and then I'll go to I'll answer your question, right? The reason why I started speaking is because I want to grow my business. And I did all the cold emailing, I did all the DMing, it didn't work. But then I realized uh, I live in Brooklyn. The Brooklyn Chamber of Commerce does free events all the time for entrepreneurs here in Brooklyn. So I reached out to them and said, hey, can I do some free talk, uh, like three ways to scale your business uh, if you're a founder? They said yes. I showed up. And they had like 60 people in the room waiting to hear me speak. I was like, holy cow, this is so much easier than DMing someone and praying they'll respond. By the end of that talk, I got two clients. So that's when I realized the best way to grow as an entrepreneur, as a leader, is to speak as many times as possible. And I would do this for free at WeWorks, at Chambers of Commerce, at Libraries XYZ. That's how I built my, if you want to call it expertise, or at least reps in as a speaker, was doing all these low stakes free events to the point where, yes, now I can go speak on stages and South by Southwest and all this other cool stuff. So just so everyone realizes that's the power of speaking. That's how I built my career, literally and do all my, my lead gen. But uh, in regards to how do I speak powerfully, well, I share stories, right? I don't just say like, here's something you should do. I talk about my own experience, right? Because you have to learn it, live it, and teach it. And I actually got that idea from, from Kevin Hart because Kevin Hart, when he first started out, uh, the comedian, he would tell like basic jokes. Anyone could tell, like guy walks into a bar, you know, holding a chicken. But his mentor told him like, look, when you start acting, you know, telling your stories, your personal stories, the audience will want to follow your journey and get updates as you speak more and more and more. So that's when he started talking about his family, his ups and his downs and, and whatnot. That's how he became a star. So I realized if you can do that with your speaking career, where it's not just you saying, hey, everyone, here's how you grow a business. It's like saying, hey, look, I got four kids. I know it's tough, but you know what? These constraints give you clarity. And here's what I'm going to talk about today. That's a story people can follow. So the way that I speak as a leader is, my experiences, right? Again, you, you learn it, live it, teach it. In that way, when people ask you follow-up questions, you can say, oh gosh, that happened to me too. And I get, you know what I mean? Like that's, that's, that's how. And also one thing that I think some speakers do is in their effort to sound powerful or as a leader, they're talking over their audience. They sound too smart. But if you look at the best communicators uh, of, of our times, they could be highly intelligent, but they'll talk to you like they're a regular person. Say, oh, well, you know, here's the thing. You know, they won't say, well, I studied this in Oxford, blah, blah. You know what I mean? So it's like meeting your audience where you're they're at because they can't come up to you yet, but you can go down to them, to their mm-hmm. level, even though you are the expert. If you can't speak to them in a way that they understand, that they want to follow, they're even entertained by it to an extent, you're not going to make a connection no matter how smart you are. So that's how I realized the best way for me to be a powerful speaker is to just connect and tell stories. And 
not worry about, you know, the power pose and all this extra stuff. Cause I'm, I'm six, four, 225 pounds. Like I'm good. You know, I don't have to like <laughs> you know, be that guy on stage. You already see me. Right. So like, let me just work, not worry about that and just focus more on connecting. And the fact that you've used this idea of connection with the audience as your guiding light is so powerful because the audience feels it. They understand that you're talking to them, you know, in every email that you write, in every post that you write, in every Q&A video that you make, you're talking about how you can help other people. And you've created that as the basis for the connection with your audience. And it's, it's really powerful. And you talked a little bit about being yourself. And, you know, I like connecting that to the idea of vulnerability and showing your weaknesses along with your strengths. Very often we feel that, oh, I have to be this industry leader, so I need to be in a position of authority. I can't really tell people about my mistakes. I can't tell people about my failures. And worse, I can't fail in public. No one's going to respect my authority if I actually fail in public. And it couldn't be further from the truth. Because when you really start telling those real stories, stories of failure, stories of how you messed up, that's when the audience understands that you're a real person and you're being really true to who you are and you don't have anything to hide. And that is, is priceless. That is the real power of vulnerability. Yeah, and I think one thing that people can do to leverage that is tell modern stories of you messing up not just when i first started i messed up like no last week i messed up <laughs> because again if you see if it seems like that past is behind you then it's harder to connect but if you're saying like no i'm still going through this but i'm still here showing up uh, for you for myself for my family for my business i think people don't do that enough or even being very transparent i had a post up that went up uh, a few weeks ago where i said well i made 400 dollars today which does not seem like a lot of money to most people, but it was all passive revenue. So I was like, I made $400 playing with my kids. That's that's good money. If I was just out at the park and made that much money, but no one's going to say that. They're going to say, oh, I bought a new yacht. I made a million dollars this year. I do this much money a month. I'm like, no, I made 400 bucks. And in fact, my first affiliate sale ever was $4. And I had a whole talk around like how excited I was to make $4 because that's something you can scale. And unfortunately, some people, they want to... Just, just rush things to speed it up. They can't like let it let it progress in a, in a in a normal time period, and that's where they mess up, right? So, just celebrating these small wins and sometimes losses along the way, sharing that you become much more authentic, and people can learn more from you as well. That makes a lot of sense because when you're on social media, you're being immediate. It's about that immediacy, and sure, you can pull out success stories from the past and have those great pictures up of you speaking at, you know, a thousand person events. But when you really talk about your day to day, that's when it makes it very real, very immediate. And I love this idea of not just being an expert, not just teaching, but using your everyday life as content. And I know that a lot of people have different ways of documenting it, have different ways of uh, taking their experiences and, and creating something from it. So how do you decide? How do you know when something interesting has happened? First of all, how do you know it's something interesting and worthy of posting on socials, adding to your newsletter, creating a video out of it? And then two, 
how do you choose what kind of content to create and how that eventually contributes to your overall brand? I'll answer the, the last question first. So how do I choose which content to create? By design, I'm creating content for the person I was when I first started my business. When I was confused, when I was frustrated, when I had no idea what to do, when I had ambition, but no direction necessarily, no guidance. So my, my, my filter is, would this have helped me when I first started my business? If the answer is yes, I'll share it. But that still does not mean it's going to be a win. So I don't know that it's always going to land with people because I talk a lot about mindset. You have to have a growth mindset, exponential mindset. How do you recover from failure? So on and so forth. Some people don't want to hear that. They're like, oh, just give me the nuts and bolts. And I'm like, that's great. I can give you the actions and the tools. But when the going gets rough, you need mindset. So if you don't want to hear that, you're going to be in trouble, right? So that's the way I approach it. But I'll give you an example. One story that I shared uh, was about me speaking at an event. And this is a different event at Amazon. And there was a woman in the crowd who had her child there. And the kid's making all sorts of noise, like screaming, so on and so forth. For me, I don't care because I, I got four kids. But she ended up leaving because she felt uncomfortable. And if going back to what we said earlier, if I was truly in the moment, I would have stopped and said, hey, look, I'm glad you're here and, you know, watching your kid and attending as opposed to watching your kid or attending. I, if I had just said that one thing, she would have felt more comfortable and I think it would have made a big impact in the crowd as well. But I didn't. So I, that's what I said on social media on, on LinkedIn. I was like, you know what? My goal is to get better. Next time I will do better. That got a lot of impressions. It actually got me speaking engagements, even though I was admitting that I messed up as a speaker they saw the need to ascend and to grow. And as a result, I got more speaking gigs, right? So did I know that was gonna land? No, I, I just shared something that I think was worthy of sharing. And sometimes like no one cares. Like literally, I mean, if you look at the data, sometimes my posts get like half a like, <laughs> you know, I'm like, all right, well, that didn't land too well, but I don't associate my self-esteem with how many likes or clicks or comments I get, right? Cause I already know who I am as a person. And there's no way to knock it out the park every every moment. like. And then we're talking a lot about LinkedIn, but look at some of your favorite LinkedIn creators. Look how many likes they get. 5,000, 2,000, 8,000, four. <laughs> you know, they're, they're always going to have some kind of bomb in there. And it is what it is, but you just keep on creating because you never know who you're, who you're helping with your content. And that's a great point. You don't always know what's going to land. But if we go back to the principles that we talked about, if it connects to your brand, if it connects to your overall mission and purpose, you're never going to regret sharing it or putting it out there. And I want to really talk a little bit about the way that you speak, literally speak on different platforms, because this is a question I get very often. People ask me, you know, Nasheen, I don't really want to do public speaking on the TEDx stage, for example. You know, after hearing my TEDx talks, they're they're always using TEDx as a reference. And they say, I don't want to be a public speaker, but I want to create content on camera. Can you help me with that? Is that something that's similar? And I, for me, the answer is always yes, because I feel that, you know, a good speaker is a good speaker, is a good speaker. The foundations are always the same, but there are differences in the way that you present yourself in a room full of people versus when you're talking to a camera or when you're doing a podcast and talking to someone else and talking to the audience at the same time. And you do all these things. You have your own podcast. You still speak at offline events and online events, I, I bet. And you create Q&A videos and other kinds of videos where you're talking just to the camera. So have you 
created for yourself differentiated speaking styles for all these mediums and platforms? I have to an extent because with video, you have to talk a bit quicker, typically, at least on my end, because it's almost like the real type thing. Like they tell it to me in three seconds or I'm out. Whereas on stage, you can build up a story. You know, you have time because they're there in their seat, right? <laughs> they're not, they're not going to get up, but on, on social media, if you don't grab someone's attention in the first three seconds, you're, you're done. Right. So that's challenging for some people. It's challenging for me too. I and mean, that's why it's beneficial to have some kind of caption above you. Like here's what this thing's about, but I don't think they're one in the same. And on my end where I struggle the most is live TV because live TV, when you're doing it, uh, especially remotely, you're just staring at a camera and you can kind of see the anchors on, on your, on your, on your screen, but then there's hundreds of thousands of other people behind that you can't see. So really what is hard for me is when I'm doing live events, when I can't see people <laughs> because it's like, all right, is this working or not? You know, like, cause that's how I, that's how I can kind of gauge the, uh, the impact of it. But no, I mean, I think the, the difference, main difference, especially if we're talking about being on stage is your presence does matter. Walking around the stage of it does matter, but I don't, I mean, obviously don't go nuts with it, but that's the main difference is like on video, you have to speak a bit quicker. Typically on camera, if you're on stage, you have to move around a bit more and you know, gesture more as well. And then on live TV, I don't know, I'm still trying to figure that out because I keep on messing up. <laughs> so, so you'll let me know. <laughs> Oh, TV is my least favorite medium. I don't know. It's your, for me, so I've been on, have I been on live TV? Maybe briefly, but I've done more recorded TV and TV is just such a conservative medium and they have so many do's and don'ts that I just feel quite restricted in that. I feel like you have the, almost the least amount of autonomy in that context. And all the time, like the times where I've coached my clients to be on TV, you know, to give interviews um, on the BBC, for example, it's always been, you know, they have to really be super precise and they have to really drill down everything that they're saying into these neat little sound bites, which is a great challenge for a speaker. But at the end of the day, I feel like TV is one of those mediums where you make the least amount of connection with the actual speaker. Yeah, it's it's challenging. And on my end, I I largely go against that narrative where you have to sound like proper and punchy. Like I was on the news the other day, like here in New York City, and they said, you know, how do you how do you gain connections on LinkedIn? And I said, first of all, don't be too thirsty. Don't just start asking for stuff all of a sudden. Most people wouldn't say thirsty, you know, on TV because they're like, oh, you're using slang. But it's like, look, this is me, you know, like this is how I present myself. And if you don't like it, that's fine. You can go hire someone who doesn't say thirsty. But if you want someone who's going to be themselves, be authentic and not lie to you, here you go. <laughs> right. So that's the way I think about it. If you if you spend all this effort trying to be someone that you're not or to fit like this mold, then you're boring. Right. I always say you're better off being Nickelback. Nickelback is one of the most hated bands in the world. If you Google most hated bands in the world right now. Nickelback's going to show up, but they're also one of the most successful Canadian bands in history. So again, you want to talk to your audience, they'll hear you, they'll feel you, they'll reach out to you, but don't worry about being put in a box. And this comedian, uh, Sam, Sam J, she made a really good point about her style as a comedian. She said, I never want to pretend to be someone else, not because I might fail, but because what if it works? Then I'm stuck being someone else all the time and that'll be exhausting. So I feel the exact same way. I, I could act like, you know, this person or that person, but then if it works, damn, now I'm stuck. <laughs> right? <laughs> so I'd rather just be Terry Rice in the 
12 percent of the population who digs it cool that's that's my tribe right everybody else <laughs> there's other people you can listen to and enjoy yourself that is such a great tip for recovering people pleasers like me because my entire life has been make sure that you know you don't ruffle any feathers don't make waves don't piss people off make sure that you say the stuff that you say in the most diplomatic way and my years of pr experience didn't help because pr is again one of those super conservative fields where you're just like don't take the risk don't take the risk say nice stuff just find five ways of saying the same thing over and over but don't say that one thing that could have negative repercussions. So really embracing that and knowing that you're going to say what you're going to say. You're not going to please everyone. And that's not your objective because you you don't want to be that person that is so generic because then that's what it comes down to, right? The more generic you are, the broader of an audience you're going to reach. And that's just going to water down. It's going to dilute your personality to an extent where at the end of the day, you're just giving out platitudes and posting memes. And that's really not what you want if you really want to be distinct and you want people to remember you and say, yeah, Terry said that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that's where people need to, to just understand a bit more, because often when someone reaches out to work with me, they'll, always say the, they'll often say the same thing. Like, I've been following you for a while. But but often they have never interacted with me whatsoever, never liked anything, never commented whatsoever. So for any of you creators out there who are not getting any traction, just realize people are listening. They are paying attention. They are appreciating you. They might not be saying anything, but eventually they will. But they always say something similar to, hey, I like how you're authentic, how you know you share your ups and your downs, how you're talking to us, not at us. Also, how you care about your family and your health. It's all these things that actually have nothing to do with my core skills, which are helping, which is helping you build a knowledge-based business. Because being an expert is a prerequisite. You're supposed to be good at your job. But the way that you get paid for who you are, not just what you do, is by showing your personality and speaking, creating videos, creating content is the best way to do that. I love that. Being an expert is a prerequisite. You're not doing anyone favors by having that knowledge. And then the way that you actually express that knowledge and contribute, that's really the true value of your expertise. It's sitting in your head is only serving you. So you, you talked about addressing creators and I want to take a second and address entrepreneurs, people that are building their own businesses. Would you say that for them, getting out there, specifically in terms of speaking, so whether it is figuring out whether they should be creating videos for socials or doing more public speaking events, maybe heading towards doing a TEDx talk one day or speaking at industry events. Is that something that every single entrepreneur should be looking to do? And how do you recommend that they start? If you feel comfortable, yes. So I'll start with that. If you feel comfortable being on stage, yes. And don't worry about how big the stage is, to be honest, because I've spoken at events that you've never heard of and gotten paid very well for it. I've spoken at events you have heard of and didn't get paid anything for it. So don't let your ego get in the head ahead of your goals and your vision, because everyone wants to say they did a uh, spoke at South by Southwest or they did a TEDx talk. Great. What did you get from it? What are you doing with it? 
Otherwise, you wasted your time, energy, and talent, right? So it's not just the event. It's how you position yourself as a speaker and as a leader by how you're speaking as well. So don't forget about that because otherwise, it's just, you know, that one moment and it's gone. But if you if you can, I, I highly recommend doing so. And the easiest way to do that is come up with one topic that's powerful and relevant for your target audience. So pretend it's accountants. Three things accountants must do in 2023 or it's over for them. Any accountant's going to want to hear that talk, right? So make sure it's not something boring, like why accounting is special. <laughs> like no one wants to hear that talk. It's, it's realize, I always pretend like nobody cares until I give them a reason to. And when I'm thinking of my speaking topics, I imagine, okay, what if there was a magazine rack here in Manhattan and there's all these different magazines there. What would I have to have on the cover of my magazine to make my target audience stop and pick it up? That's how you have a good topic. Right. But just because you're giving good information, if you even just package it incorrectly, it won't land as well with your target audience. And you know what it's like when you're at events, sometimes there's three different talks going on at the same time. So I think to myself, what do I have to deliver to this audience to make them want to go to mine and not the other two? And if you put that much effort into your topic and how you deliver it, you will be successful. But again, not everyone is comfortable doing that. So for those, whatever percent that is, you're not a failure if you don't feel comfortable speaking. You have to find a different way of expressing your, your perspective and your worldview because otherwise it stays trapped in your head. But and I know the whole point of this podcast is to speak as a leader, but for those of you out there, just realize <laughs> it ain't the end of the world. Start small, focus on impact. And remember, as you're speaking, if you mess up a little bit, everyone there is there to learn from you. So they want you to do well. And if you slip up a little bit, they'll wait for you to catch your breath. But you don't have hecklers or enemies in the audience, I hope. If you have enemies, stop listening now and get rid of the enemies. But just realize that everyone is supporting you, right? They want you to do well. So you have an audience of advocates, not adversaries. And so, again, for those of you that don't feel comfortable speaking, hopefully that helps a little bit. Thank you for that. The audience wants you to win. That is such a great thing to remember, no matter what platform you're on. And you're totally right. I feel like, I feel like we've almost become super sensitive to this idea of being critiqued because we've seen hecklers. Maybe we've seen stand-up comedy where you have people talking back a bit, or maybe we've been around other people who've critiqued people that they're seeing on their screen. But we forget that if they were there in the audience, they wouldn't be bold enough to share those views out loud. Very few people are going to actively interrupt the speaker and say, I don't agree with what you just said. You're just talking crap. It's just, it only happens in films, thankfully. So knowing yeah. that the audience is on your side and they're rooting for you to win, because if you win, they win. If you win, then they have a great afternoon or evening of insightful information, networking, value that they've you know, given your, themselves uh, out of investing their time into that attending that event. So they're creating a win for themselves by supporting you. So it's not like they're even doing you a favor. And knowing that there's a sea of friendly faces out there whether it's at the other end of the camera or live staring at you at an event, it really, really helps build that confidence and, and ultimately gives you that fuel, I think. And I really think so much of what we're talking about is about finding your own fuel, finding what drives you to do the things that you're doing, whether it's building your personal brand online or seeking speaking engagements. And I love this idea of, of starting small, and this is something I always tell people that I coach or that I talk to, because 
a lot of people see the end product. You know, they see that nicely packaged Q&A video that you put out. They see someone being on a TEDx stage and they think, wow, I don't even know how to get there. I can't even imagine how many steps I need to take to do that. But they're not thinking of the immediate wins that they can have. They're not thinking that they have like a powerhouse cinema in their pocket at all times that they can pull out and create high quality video content. First, maybe just for themselves. And I, this is something I really tell people because a lot of them, you know, you mentioned that if they are comfortable on stage, a lot of them aren't. They aren't comfortable on stage. They aren't comfortable on camera, but they have this desire. And I ask them to take that desire and turn it into action by taking these small steps, just creating videos for themselves. Don't even think about posting it on social media because that is intimidating. But if you can create a video just for yourself, watch it back and understand where you can improve, you've already done the first 10 steps in that journey. Yeah, and I also say this, I mean, the benefit of creating video is if it's content you'll talk about on stage, then you already have reps saying it. So the reason why I think most speakers who are confident are, feel that way is because they're prepared, right? They, they don't care if the slides aren't working or they can't, they don't care if they can't see the slide. Cause like, I'm not saying they have the whole speech memorized, but they have the bullet points down. And that's why it's beneficial for me, at least when I'm when I'm presenting, it's a series of interlocking parts. So this story is from this previous presentation I did. This one's from you know a workshop I did. This one's from my online course. This one's from my book. Therefore, even if I can't remember it verbatim, you're not going to shake me, right? Someone can ask a random question. Cool, I got it, and I can listen and, and respond. And if someone gets up, and this this always happens, right? Someone walks out in the middle of your presentation. That doesn't throw me off either because I'm like, hey, I'm, I'm back in my zone. And and even in that example, like, because this throws a lot of people off, right? Like, why are they leaving? I don't know. You don't know either. Maybe they got to go to the bathroom, right? Maybe they got an important phone call, whatever it is. But you can't let one person walking out, two people walking out, whatever, throw you off. Because what are all the people that stayed? <laughs> you know, So stay present for them and don't worry about someone who maybe just has to run to the restroom. But it's those little tiny things where... I'm not saying ignore the audience, but just really focus on impact and the people that are looking and nodding and listening and appreciating what you're doing. And that way you don't get thrown off. Or just enough people not showing up. That's something I've heard a lot of speakers express fear over. Oh, I'm going to do this event. And what if I have five people show up? And that actually happened uh, in Startup Grind, which is a community that one of, I'm the director um, for that here. And you know, there have been times where we've done all the right stuff, but somehow the event that we're putting out is clashes with something or, you know, it's just it just doesn't work because something happened the day before and everyone's there or it's raining. And the events where you get five people showing up, well, guess what? It becomes an intimate conversation with five people. It becomes yeah. a Q&A session. It becomes a time to really connect with them and not think about the 70 or 170 people that might be missing that conversation. So making the best of the situation and understanding that it's about creating a connection will always win. That, that strategy will always win. Yeah. My first paid speaking gig, four people showed up <laughs> because it was for an insurance conference and they accidentally scheduled me at the same time as this required compliance training. And only four people out of the 300 people that were there had taken it already. So I was like, I still got paid. So I'm like, whatever. Um, but even uh, when I was speaking at South by Southwest the first time, 
it was the day after daylight savings time. So a lot of people came, I guess it was an hour, yeah, an hour late. So they missed my talk. And I was like, why is it so empty here? And then all these people came in like at the very end. I'm like, what the heck? They're like, oh, we, we thought you were on now. I'm like, no. So it is what it is. You know, it's, it, I still spoke at South by Southwest, not as big of an audience as I wanted to, but end of the day, it's that, you know? So it's, and, and, and the last thing I'll say on that is, don't take this approach, but sometimes when I'm on stage, I'm like, look, I'm only here for 30 seconds of, of crisp content because I want that in my speaker reel. The rest of the time I can riff, I can do whatever I want. If I mess up, it is what it is, but I just want 30 solid seconds for my speaker reel. And after that, I can start having fun. So I, I, I just relieve that pressure by thinking, look, 30 seconds, it's not 15 minutes or half an hour, 30 seconds. And that's the, the, the underlying principle of that is great. Do whatever it takes to relieve the stress and the pressure off of you. It, it always works because the more pressure you put on yourself, you think that you might be performing at optimal levels, but what you're actually doing is you're just taxing and taxing and taxing your brain. Maybe it'll perform really well in the first five minutes or 10 minutes, but you're going to tire yourself out if all you're doing is thinking about, all this pressure that's on you to perform, all this pressure to be perfect or you know, be that leader on that stage. And I have seen clients that are crippled by this pressure that just don't want to be on a stage, don't want to do that next podcast, don't want to create any kind of content because they just feel that I need to present a certain impression. I need to be a certain way. And people aren't going to respect me if I'm not this way, if I'm not perfect all the time. And that kind of pressure is just, it's never, ever going to actually propel you into action. So how do you help them with that? That's a great question. I push them out of their comfort zone. I tell them that from the right at the outset, I tell them, you know, you've taken this great step of working with me as a public speaking coach. And now I'm here to help you do the work. I'm here to help you get out of this mindset that you're in and you have to start small. So something that these, the same kinds of people are always stuck on is I need to be, you know, creating these opportunities at this high profile level. And that also cripples them. So they're just putting all this undue pressure. And I ask them to start small. It's about finding what you can do tomorrow, what you can do in two days from now that is going to help you take steps towards overcoming this fear. If it's creating a small video, if it's going on a small podcast that maybe you feel like a lot of people aren't going to see. So it's low stakes. It's win-win. You're helping a small creator out and you're really building your own confidence to be able to go on bigger stages. So starting small is always the way to go and just actionability, taking those steps before kind of thinking it all out and thinking, I now have the perfect strategy after thinking about it for six months and now I'm going to execute it. And I feel like this is something you and I really connect on, Terry, because we've talked about how even your course has actionability built right into it, where you actually tell people to stop doing the course and go out and do something and then come back. So it's, it's really all about that. It's about doing, getting the courage to do something and then analyzing it. So mm -hmm. once you've done a podcast, make sure you get a recording of it. Once you've done a video, watch it back and analyze it. And if you don't know what to look out for, 
that's what we really sit and work on together. We look at the tone that the person is speaking in, how much energy they have, what is the body language that they're using, how much eye contact they're making, what are the things that are already their strengths, because you build up specific speaking strengths without even knowing it. A lot of people are really natural with their gestures and their body language, but they suck when it comes to being animated. So understanding your strengths, understanding your opportunity areas, and then doing it again, and then doing it again, being consistent with it and understanding that you're not going to hit a home run the first or the 10th or maybe even the 50th time that you do this, but the 51st time magic might happen. Now I feel like you're judging everything, my my tone, my inflection, my my speed. I know I'm speaking too quickly, but um, no, you're right. I mean, and that's why I really credit all those reps I got in speaking at libraries, at chambers of commerce, at co-working spaces. Again, sometimes with nobody in the audience, but the thing is, that's how I built my reputation. And eventually they would start recommending me to speak at other events. And that's how I started getting paid for it too. So, and I think that's the issue. People sometimes want significant, they perceive significance before they've done something significant, right? So you can't just expect to start off on a TEDx when you haven't even done like a video yet, right? You have to, you have to crawl before you walk in. Going back to comedians, that's what they do as well. Before they have a big event, like a Netflix special, they're at dive bars in tiny towns. You know, it's all of a sudden Dave Chappelle walks in or, you know, Kevin Hart, they're practicing their material. And if they bomb in front of 30 people who paid three bucks to get in, all right, I'm not gonna tell that joke anymore. That didn't work. <laughs> well, you have that on Netflix, but you do that enough times, whether you're a comedian or a speaker, but by the time you're on that big stage, you know what's gonna hit and what's not gonna hit because you have that confidence in those reps as well. Yeah, it's getting the reps in under low stakes, that's really the magic combination. And it, you know, it, it translates to sports, to gymming, it translates to public speaking, being able to, to practice and practice in a safe space or in a space where the stakes are lower before propelling yourself and motivating yourself to go on bigger and bigger platforms and stages. That's really how you'll grow. So you can't get too used to being in your in your small fish pond because then you'll, you know, never get to the lake. You'll never get to to the bigger stuff. But you know, making sure that you you learn all the basics while doing the reps. And that's that's definitely something I was doing without even knowing I was doing it for for so much of my life because I loved being on stage. And that really helped me come to a point where now I can teach it without having gone to school for it. I don't have a degree in public speaking. But I feel like I do because my life has taught me all these things that I just kind of understand and I have integrated into my, my brain and the way that I talk and the way I am on that stage. And I'm sure you have, you know, after speaking at all these events, I'm sure there are things that you do that you're not even conscious of doing, but that really add impact to the way that you speak on any stage. I wouldn't know because I'm not conscious of it, but um, <laughs> thank you for that. But um. <laughs> I, I think a lot of it goes back to, again, just being comfortable with who you are, being in that by, by that, I mean, just having your core values established, your personal philosophy, the vision for your life. Like if you don't have that, that if you don't do that deep work initially, then everything else doesn't land as well because there's no like, no, like North Pole that you're, I, I can't find the right analogy, but you get it right. You don't, you don't know enough about yourself to even express your knowledge to an audience because you're, you're still trying to figure yourself out. So that's the issue. But but yeah, I mean, I think the sooner you get started, the better and the smaller, the better, because there's less stakes. And we've said this a few times already, but 
outside of that, I think it's just forgiving yourself. And it comes in four stages, right? One is the the event. You messed up. You tanked. Okay, great. What's the next thing? It's your perception. All right, is it the end of the world or can I learn from this? And the next thing is your reaction. What's your reaction? Okay, hopefully it's go find another speaking event, you know, practice some more, so on and so forth. And the last part is endurance. Can you keep on pushing forward even though you mess up again, you know, once or twice here and there and you continue down this path? And if the sooner you can get through this process and do it in a constructive way, the faster you become a more effective speaker because you don't let one little loss, you know, tank your career or make you feel like you're just not good at it. I love that advice. That is such excellent advice to to end the podcast episode on that, you know, you have to be consistent. Don't let failures get you down. It's easier said than done. So much easier said than done, but it's entirely possible. And all these successful people that you see, that you might envy, that you might want to emulate, they have all had more than their fair share of failures. And the one thing that differentiates them from someone that you don't know, from someone who hasn't gotten to that level, is that they didn't give up. So it's as simple as that. Not easy, but simple. Thank you so much, Terry. It was just a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much for sharing your experience so generously with us, giving us all this value-packed advice. And would you like to tell our audience where they can find you and how they should contact you? Yeah, well, first of all, thanks for having me. It's great to chat about this. I've never actually talked about the speaking side of my business. So so I appreciate that. And uh, best way to find me on social media, it's at, at It's Terry Rice. I'm also very active on LinkedIn. Um, or just go to my website, terryrice.co. And if you go to terryrice.co backslash shortcut, uh, you can go ahead and get on my newsletter where I give you one tip, one tactic, and one time saver to help you make money, avoid burnouts, and save time. And please, guys, subscribe to his newsletter. It's one of the few that I read from start to finish each time because each and every single email is just packed with so much valuable insight and advice that Terry gives away for free that it would be it would be you know really a disservice to yourself as an entrepreneur if you don't subscribe to it so thank you again so much Terry it was such a pleasure talking to you thanks you as well hey you're still here Thanks for listening all the way till the end. I am super grateful for your support. If you like this episode, please take a minute to leave a five-star review. It would mean the world to me. To know about how I help leaders speak fearlessly, you can check out nsheen.com. That is the first letter of my name, N for Nasheen, with a sheen like Martin and Charlie. See you in the next episode. Till then, speak fearlessly. Speak fearlessly.